I'm so excited for this first series of this new decade. I am absolutely pumped up about this. The title of this new series that we're starting today is called The Blameless Project. The Blameless Project. And the genesis for this series was our series on Genesis that we had last summer. We were working our way through Genesis 3. Here's how this all played out. Working our way through Genesis 3. And as we got to the spot where sin comes into the world, what happened right away? They started blaming one another. So I'm reading that and I'm studying that and reflecting on that. And I start thinking how that's what I do a lot. I have this natural reaction. I'm so good at blaming. I don't even have to think about it. It just comes naturally. I, I naturally, you know, we're, we're late to school. Oh, it's the train's fault, right? You know, coming, you know, and it's, we, it just naturally, these, these things go there. It's all around us. Can we be honest going into 2020s? How many of you are really good at blaming too? All right, look at this. We're really good, really good at blaming. It's all around us. Now, this topic is going to take us to some hard places, not just today, but throughout the series. So we thought, you know, let's have a little fun as we introduce it, especially since the kids are here with us. And so one of the fun things we like to do from time to time is have some sort of skit in here. We haven't done it for, a, for quite a while, but we're going to have a little skit. Two years ago, we had a skit that was based on this family, and this family got a phone call from Jesus, and they missed an opportunity, right? An opportunity to experience God in their midst. Well, our favorite dysfunctional family is back this Sunday, and they're going to try now to fix things up. They're going to have a little family counseling, little family counseling, and we're going to see what happens as they come in for counseling. So let's, uh, let's bring the skit team up. Okay, who can remind us why we're here today? Oh, all-star counselor, Kurt. Thank you, Carrie. We're here today because my crazy family and idiot uncle totally messed things up last Christmas. Now, Carrie, what have we been working on? Blaming less. Okay, let's try this again. How about you, Bob? You see, this is the problem right here. Maybe if my brother-in-law would take his job as the spiritual leader of this family a little more seriously, we wouldn't have to be here. Dan, don't you dare blame my husband for last Christmas. Everyone, what have we been working on? Blaming less. Okay. So just share what happened from your perspective without casting blame on anyone. Okay, so last Christmas, we were celebrating the birth of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, when my brother got a phone call from Jesus. We wanted to get things ready for him, and we tried to, but we kept getting distracted. Um, if you call that sweet little old lady a distraction, we were cleaning up the living room when she came to the door. She had been making Christmas cookies for kids at the orphanage and needed to borrow some sugar. Yeah, and Uncle Dan gave her $10 and sent her to Gas Mart. Well, I would have given her $20. You cut my allowance. Dan, you are my brother. Isn't it enough that we have been letting you live rent-free in our basement for three years? Can we get back on track here? Thank you. So we got back to cleaning... Oh, and looking for Bibles. And looking for Bibles. And I went looking for my cross necklace. And some of us went looking for cross necklaces when these strange kids came up the driveway. Strange kids. 
Yeah, I think they're from Indiana. That's when Uncle Dan told us to army crawl to the kitchen. Best idea ever. You told everyone to army crawl to the kitchen. Yeah, no, it was so the strange kids from Indiana wouldn't see us. But now that we're talking about it, I think that's the reason why we got distracted. Yeah, their fault. Oh, Dan, that coffee is really hot. You're going to want to take it easy because it's just... Don't you worry about it. I like my coffee piping. <laughs> Whoa. Uncle Dan! This is my new iPhone 11 Pro Max, and you just ruined it. I, I, it's not my fault. I didn't brew the coffee. It's his fault. How are we even related? Okay. Why don't we get back and try to do a little more listening and a little less blame. Oh, so you think this is our fault. <laughs> what? Does anyone else hear what I'm hearing oh, right now? I'm hearing it, Mom. I'm hearing it too. <laughs> no, 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 wait. I'm just saying that if we look toward no, what we can... No, that is exactly the problem. You... We're paying you all this money, and you're just telling us it's our fault? How much are you paying this guy? Actually, Dan? Dan, you are not paying anything for this. Fair point, but I, here's a freebie for you then, Mr. Blamecaster Man. This is the worst counseling session I've ever been to. And that's saying a lot. Yeah, Uncle Dan has had more counselors than the Giants have losses. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> Come on, everyone. Let's go. Come on. Bob, you coming? Are you seriously taking his side? How many of you ever felt like you've been in that skit? Man, it was fun talking to Kurt. Kurt's a professional counselor, and he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because blame is everywhere. It's everywhere. Over the course of the series, one of the names that we're going to introduce you to, if you haven't already, if you're not familiar with this name, is a person by the name of Brene Brown. Dr. Brown says this. She says, we live in a blame culture. We want to know whose fault it is. We want to know how they're going to pay. How they're going to pay. Blame is everywhere. And it's been so fun as I've been talking about this series to people to see their reaction. The first reaction that I get from a lot of folks, they say, oh, that's interesting. And then about a week later, they come back and they're like, so... I'm seeing blame everywhere. And then given another week or two, if they've been thinking about this, they're like, okay, so blame is at the root of a lot of problems. I'm like, yeah. And, and, then, and then it goes all the way to, we need to tell other people about this. Not with the same, like, ah, that I just did. But, but it, there's this progression. If you start reflecting on this and you start seeing it and you start recognizing the destructive power it has, you start to get on this journey of this is a really, 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 really big deal. Well, this series, it has potential to be a game changer, and I don't say that lightly. I can point, after living in this now for about six months, I can point to companies that had increased profit when they blamed less. More importantly, I can point you to studies where hospitals had fewer lawsuits against them when they started blaming less. More importantly than that, I can point to countless examples of marriages and families and friendships and countless lives that were changed for the better when people consciously started blaming 
less. This is one practical way. What we're talking about for the next couple weeks. This is one practical way for us to experience and model more God-honoring lives. Over the course of this series, we're going to open up our Bibles as we always do. And specifically for this series, we're going to open up to the teachings of Jesus and also the books of Nehemiah and Job and Leviticus. We're going to point you to great resources, not just to people like Brene Brown, but also Stephen Covey and Kurt Thompson and Sheila Heen. We're going to help as best we can give you practical tools too. Practical tools so that you can blame, to help you if you you so desire, to blame circumstance less and to blame others less and to blame God less and to blame yourself less. There's some great stuff that we're going to be introducing and working on together. So let's begin. Let's, let's dive in. And let's start in the section of the Bible that set all this in motion, Genesis chapters 1 through 3. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Genesis. We'll start in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to go home with one free. We keep stacks of them there at the back, and they're there for you. Please take one as a gift. Um, we would love for you to, to have that. All right, before we start reading, I would invite you to write this down. Um, blaming goes all the way back to the beginning. If you're new here, we, we each week we try to put a notes insert in your bulletin so you can, you can capture some of these thoughts. And the first thought we'd love for you to capture is blaming goes back to the beginning. In the beginning, we read in Scripture, was, we be, that the wor- earth was without form, it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But then we get to this verse I want to look at, these verses, verses 3 through 4. As God looked at all the darkness, chaos, disorder, he said this. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was what? The light was good. Saw that the light was good. We said before in here that words create worlds. Words create worlds. What kind of world does blame create? Is it good? Like what God creates? No. No, it's not. It's not good. Which is the opposite, again, of what God creates. God says, and it's good. God says, and it's Good. God says, and it's good. In fact, we don't even come across any not goods at all until we get to verse 18. Verse 18. Let's put it up on the screen. See if you can find what is the first not good that you come to in the Bible. It is not good, what? That the man should be, what? Alone. So the first not good that we come to in the entire Bible is it's not good for us to be alone. God saw that that was not good, and so he made a helper. Not a lesser, he made a helper. The Hebrew word is ezer, ezer. And ezer is a word that means helper. It doesn't just refer to her. If you keep reading in the scripture, you come across that word later. It refers to God. God is also our helper. He's our ezer. So after creating this world filled with endless opportunity, after ensuring that the man is equipped with ezers, the creation narrative, this whole section of creation, It closes with this. This is how that section comes to a close. This is chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. It says this. This is, again, how the creation narrative comes to a close. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife, they were both naked, but, and, I guess it said, they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. So that's how the creation narrative ends. Now, our English language does a good job of capturing the intimacy and the vulnerability that was in place as the creation narrative 
comes to a close. What we miss when we read in English is some of this original Hebrew wordplay. Let's go to the very next verse, um, and you're going to see that there's a word that we have in bracket here. We also had bracketed that word naked, which looks a lot like this word in Hebrew. Here's the very next verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty, more crafty than the other, any other beast of the field and the Lord, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, hey, God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, I want to hit pause really quick, and uh, it would be hopefully later in the series, we're going to have time to come back to this. I just want to say a little bit about it, but then we've got to get back kind of on track for today. There's a lesson in this verse right here, this, this passage. There's a lesson here that just can save us so much grief, right? What happens here? The, the, the serpent starts talking about God who isn't in the conversation. What's one very practical thing? If you ever studied communication and conflict, what do you do? What's the healthy way to respond when someone starts bringing up somebody else who's not in the conversation? You, you loop them in. So a much healthier response here than, than we end up getting would have been for Eve to say, oh, you know what? You're, you're, let's find out what God had to say about this. You know, he visits us regularly, so how about we just loop him into the conversation? You know? Wouldn't that solve, like, a lot of problems? All right, so we hopefully we'll have a chance to come back to that later. But here's what I want to, do, I want to focus on right now, and that's that wordplay. Let's focus on that. As the creation narrative concludes, a serpent appears, and the wordplay in Hebrew suggests that the serpent's skill set and the people's situation they're linked. The serpent was Arum, and he used his Arum to exploit their Arumimness. As the cr serpent craft, or does the crafty serpent promised, taking a bite of the forbidden fruit, it did change the couple. He said, You eat this, for this fruit, it's going to change you. But did it change them for the better? Like he promised. No, it didn't. It didn't change them for the better. And one of the first things that happened was they felt this intense need to cover up. They'd never had that before. They felt this intense need to cover up. This is another case where science is catching up with Scripture. As I've been studying as best I can blame, what I've been seeing here is that what appears to be at the heart of blame is fear. At the heart of blame, there's fear. There's fear. Blame is an attempt to cover up. It is an attempt to cover up and protect ourselves. But in doing so, blame ends up destroying the very thing we long for most. We are hardwired for relationships. We've said that before. The science bears this out. We are hardwired for relationships. We come into this world longing to be loved. And if you dive deeper into blame and its cousin shame, you're going to come across terms like this, interpersonal neurobiology. Our brains are so wired for one another, they have phrases like this, terms like this, interpersonal neurobiology. Our brains want to connect with one another. And we're afraid, here's where fear comes in, we're afraid because we long for community so much, we're afraid that if something really is our fault, what's that going to do to our relationships? Am I going to be seen as lesser in someone's eyes? Am I going to be shunned? Am I going to be abandoned? What might happen if there is a fault that is in me and someone else sees it? So we, we cover it up and we blame others. Our minds start thinking about what other minds might be thinking about us. We cover up and we assign blame. 
again, as a way to protect ourselves. But what happens when the fingers start pointing? Does that make it better? Oh, you're pointing a finger at me. I just feel so much closer to you now. You know? Thank you for pointing out the error of my ways and nothing that you contributed to this. I just bless you for that. You know? No, it makes things worse, doesn't it? It makes things worse. When we don't pause to explore what's really broken and we start just pointing fingers, it makes things worse. Please write this down. It is hard to overstate the connection between blame and what? Bad. It is hard to overstate the connection between blame and bad. Blaming destroys the kind of relationships that we long for most. You may have heard pastors talk before about how sin leads to a breakdown with God, a breakdown with one another, a breakdown with ourselves, a breakdown with our world. What does blame contribute to? A breakdown with God, with one another, with ourselves and our world. Blame derails dreams and careers. Blame destroys community, but it also destroys companies. Blame keeps teams from reaching their full potential. Blame drives friends and families apart. And as I was reflecting on this and reading on this, one of the things that just is the most gut-wrenching is what blame can do when it becomes internalized. And it becomes shame. You know, and especially this week, as I was really thinking about this, I thought about all of those um, different times where I've been up at camp. And on Saturday night, where we have those ministry nights where people are getting very, very real, and they come and they want to talk and they want to pray. And the number of times where people have come and what's going on inside, it's really, if you were to put a word to it, it's shame. And so much of it's linked to what happens at home. Where there's this blame, 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 and what starts to get internalized is it's because I'm a bad person. There's a fault in me. Something's broken within. You know, and I've had a chance now to, to know a lot of folks for a longer period of time. And, and some of these people, I remember praying with them when they were teenagers 30 years ago. And many of them, they've, they've gotten counseling and they've done a lot of reflection, a lot of hard work. And guess what I've seen 30 years later? I've seen some people, they've been able to say, okay, I'm learning to cope with that, but I've met nobody who says, oh, I, I'm free from that. It's gone. 30 years later, even after counseling. And then in the first you know, session, I'm sitting, oh, my, my own daughter's in the front row, and I'm thinking, man, think of all those times, not just with my words, but with the old, mm-hmm. You know what that does to people, Right? No one wants to do that, right? We don't want to destroy our relationships. We don't want to sabotage our careers. Blame can do that. In trying to protect ourselves, we can do a lot of damage, a lot of damage. All right, now I do want to hit pause, and and I want to talk to some of you about the internal conversation that's happening in some of your heads. Not everybody, but some of your heads. Some of your heads are going, okay, hold on. What about accountability? Are you saying that we just never blame And we never hold people accountable? No. In fact, what's the only way to really find out who's accountable for what? To start blaming less and actually get to the bottom of things. The the, the title of this series is not, Don't Blame Ever, Ever. That'd just be a weird title for a series, right? What's the title of the series? Blame Less. Blame Less. And what if instead of instantly, as we're so apt to do, instantly going to blame, 
What if instead we hit pause and we really try to sort out what's going on here? What's going on? You know, again, what we're trying to inspire people to do is to blame less. Instead of immediately covering up and pointing fingers, let's train our minds to reflect and to ask questions and to try to understand the best course of action going forward. If the issue involves another person, I was having lunch with, with a guy and we were talking about this series. And he said, you know, it's like this. He goes, so often it's like we're on the opposite side of a table and we're just pointing fingers at one another, just casting blame. He says, how much better, better is it to get on the same side of the table, put the thing on the other side of the table, and together try to work on it, right? That's the kind of thing we're going to work on in this series. Okay, well, let's take a look at how God responds to an act of treason and rebellion on the part of people he created. So God says, hey, there's this one tree. Don't eat anything from this tree. What did they do? They ate from the tree because they thought listening to a talking snake was a really good idea. So they eat this. God knows what happens. Genesis 3, verse 9. Look at how he responds. But the Lord God called to the man and asked him a great question. What was the great question? Where are you? What a beautiful question. Where are you? Did God know what happened? Yep. Did God know where Adam was? Yep. In Hebrew, listen to this. In Hebrew, the word man and the word you are singular. There were at least three involved in this thing, right? But instead of just grouping everybody together, he starts with the one who got the original command not to eat. He starts, he says, where are you? Let's just, let's just start one at a time. Where are you? He gives Adam, the one to whom the original command was given, he gives Adam an opportunity to share his story. Before blame starts going, before judgment comes down, he gives him an opportunity. Share your story. Where are you is a really good question. In fact, we do our best to try to reflect on similar questions every time we gather for the Lord's Supper. Where are you? Are you lost? Are you hiding something? Are you ashamed of something? You know, have you made a mistake? After Adam gives an accurate but incomplete answer, God gets more specific. Does God hold us accountable? Yes. Take a look right here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. He says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So he's getting very specific here. And what does Adam do? Does Adam say, Yeah, I did. No. What does he do? Here's what he does. I'm not, this is, look it up. Genesis 3, 12. The man says, Okay, that woman who you, it's your fault, God, because you put her here, that you gave to be with me, that she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Their fault. Wow. And so it begins. Adam blames God and then he blames Eve. And so it continues. Verse 13. Then the Lord says to the woman. Now again, it's, it's individual. What is each person's role in this? Okay, now let's talk. Eve, Eve, here's your chance. Eve, what is it that you have done? The woman said, oh, it was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. Eve blames too. There's a place to write this down. As we conform to this broken world, we contribute to it. Blaming is the opposite of ezering. Instead of protecting us from a breakdown of relationships with our ezers, blaming, it makes everything worse. Everything worse. 
And if we had more time together, we could look at the, in the specific consequences. Okay, Adam, here's the consequence of what happened with you. Eve, here's what happened with you. Serpent, here's what happened with you. And how that's going to affect all the rest of us as well, these consequences. And then when that's done, look at this. One last verse from Genesis we're going to look at today. Because you've done this, cursed, more Hebrew wordplay, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. There's one last play on words here in Hebrew. The serpent, who was once described as more crafty than all the other creatures, becomes more cursed. In the Hebrew word, there's not the negative connotation around crafty. It's, it's just this thing that is. You're, you're cunning, you're sharp, you're smart. And the serpent took that, which could have been used for good, and he used it in destructive ways. As a result, he's cursed. Which leads us to the next talk point in our notes. Blame. Blame is a missed opportunity to become. Blame is a missed opportunity to become. I so hope for all of us that we begin to see that. That it's not just about blameless and stop there. Because things aren't going to get better with that either, right? They might get less worse, but they're not going to get better. Blame is an opportunity to become. It's an opportunity to become. Let's go back quickly to that the quote that Brene Brown has that we opened with. But this time I'm going to give you a little more context to it. She says, we live in a blame culture. We want you to know whose fault it is and how they are to go pay. But then she goes on. She says, what would work and home lives look like if we blamed less but had more dot, dot, dot? What if we blamed less and had more dot, dot, dot? Blaming less holds us back. Blaming less holds us back from becoming more resourceful as we find ourselves in challenging situations. We're going to talk about that next week. Blaming holds us back from becoming more mindful of others and listening before we cast judgment. That's in two weeks. Blaming holds us back from becoming more faithful in both senses of the word. Having great faith in God, but also living lives of faithfulness. That's week three. And blaming less holds us back from becoming less fearful of what others might think. So we discover the freedom of becoming more appropriately transparent, more appropriately vulnerable. That's week four. Over the next four weeks, we're going to do the best we can to try to retrain our brains. In our anxiety series a couple summers ago, we learned a lot about these amazing brains that God has given us. As we retrain our brains, they are physically transformed. When Romans says, you know, don't be conformed, but be transformed, that's real. It, physically, our minds can be transformed. Here's a quote from another great book that you'll be introduced to later in this series. Kurt Thompson says this, Renewal of the mind is not just an abstraction. It means real change in real bodies. And attention is the function that drives the movement of neuroplasticity. It was so fun after the first service, someone came up and said, Yeah, neuroplasticity, it's a real word. I like studied it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. He, he, he put the same thing this way in a little bit better, to under, easier to understand language. He says, neurons that fire together, wire together. Another way to say that is, is to think about this way. When you think on the same thing over and over and over again, your mind goes there automatically. You are literally creating pathways in your brain that are easier and faster for your brain to follow. It, it, is a, it is this real thing that science is, is just in the last like 30 years is really starting to, to understand. So here's the thing. When, when, when we 
when we start learning something new, it's kind of like you got this forest and you have to navigate through the trees. The more you do it, it's more like you've knocked down a couple of those trees. The more you do it, it's more like now I've paved a path. The more you do it, now it's got, I've got that path on the downside. You know, the more you do it then, it's like this was this morning, we put ice on it and you just start sliding down that thing, right? That's, that's how it works right now with us, most of us with blame. What if we instead could get it heading towards and it was good? What if we could start making the pathways towards the, and it was good stuff? Wouldn't that be wonderful? What if instead of just instantly blaming one another, we focused our attention on becoming more? Which is why we have the wristbands, you know, for you. And throughout the series, throughout the series, we'll keep a, a big bowl of them there at the resource table. And use whatever. This isn't like, okay, all of the holy people wear wristbands. Don't, you know, don't use the wristband if it's not helpful. But the reason I'm going to put it on is to remind me, oh, yeah, I've got this thing on my wrist. I want to blame less. If, if, if it's easier for you to have a screensaver or something in your calendar, do whatever works for you. But let's get some triggers so that instead of just blaming, we start to notice it and we try to blame less. It usually takes several weeks to learn a new habit. So let's take some time over the next several weeks. Let's retrain our brains. And again, let's not just stop with blaming less. Let's find the becoming mores for each of these areas. And as we do, as we go, okay, this is going to be big because we've been doing this, many of us, since we were two. Not my fault, right? Let's remember this. Even as God held Adam and Eve accountable in the garden, he extended grace. As, as they were experiencing the natural consequences of their choice. And they're trying to cover themselves up with these stupid fig leaves. What did God provide instead? He gave them clothing made out of skins. That's significant. Go back and, and read Genesis up until that point. You will not find anything dying except plants up until that point. This was a costly sacrifice. It was an act of grace that cost does that sound familiar? Anyone that knows what happened thousands of years later on a cross? A great sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice was given. And that greatest sacrifice cleansed us from our sins. Is God in this? Yes. There's a place right this in your notes. And here's how I put it. If Christ's sacrifice can make us blameless, one word, if Christ's sacrifice can wipe out all of our sins. I mean, can his spirit help us blame less two words? Yes. Which is harder to, to just obliterate the sins of the world or to help people blame less, right? God is in this. He invites us to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us as a helper as we go through our days, little by little, renewing our minds so that we can have the mind of Christ. Now, if you are on our ECC mail list, you got a heads up about what I'm going to say next. Please write this down and let's talk about it for just a minute. This series is going to be different than other series we've done before. We're going to invite you to help us steward this idea. We're going to invite you and ask you to help us steward this idea. I have a sense that this series was meant to be more than just a, hey, us here meeting on Sunday mornings in the community center. Let's do this as a good and God-honoring New Year's resolution. I think there's others that need to hear this too, beyond our congregation. 
And, and one of the reasons I believe that is I, you know, early on to this journey, I, I Googled. I'm like, I, I know that I blame a lot, but I, I want to learn more about this. And, I, I, and so where do I even start? You know, and it's certainly in the scriptures. So went to my Bible and blame shows up a lot. Type in blameless. Shows up a lot, right? But I, when I Googled, I just went on Google and I blamed. I, I typed in the word blame. And you know what was dominating the search? An anime movie and a song. Like, that's the top thing when people are looking for blame that you find. And then I, gla- I, I Googled blameless, two words. And Google said, you can't do that. They said, you can only look up blameless, one word. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And, and I typed in, I, you know, show me blameless. And it wouldn't let me. It just kept redirecting me. You mean blameless, don't you? I'm like, no, I don't. And so then I typed in, the blameless project, thinking somebody on the planet must have taken this on before, right? And what I got for the blameless project, the top hit was a Christian band that has 30 people talking about them on Facebook. <laughs> so then I went to my go-to Amazon. I'm like, okay, at least I'm going to find some resources. What can I go? I mean, I'm going to study this because again, I'm going to start with the scriptures, but I want to also see what people have said about the scriptures and, and what best of the best that's out there. And I'm not making this up. When I did my Amazon search for blame less, two words, there was in the top tier, there was a cassette tape from the 90s. And about two books. And so here's, this, this hit me between services. What I didn't do is I didn't go on YouTube and start searching what have churches said before. And it's actually good that I didn't because I never would have had this thought. Whatever churches have been doing is not, help, not affecting the national conversation. So whatever it is that churches are doing with themselves to talk about this isn't affecting outside of the church, at least not in a big way. Now, here's what I can't say. I don't know what God wants to do with us stewarding this idea. Maybe it is just we do a really good job and there's some other churches that can use what we use. That kind of stuff happens with our other series. I just had one of those this week, you know. But what if it's more than that? What if God has an idea that he wants us to steward? What if there's a blameless pledge or blameless pledges that he wants us to develop that could really make a difference for individuals? I'm taking the blameless pledge. For families, let's take the blameless pledge. For a team, <laughs> we have a lot of coaches in here. Could any of your teams use a blameless pledge? Oh, my word. What about for companies? businesses a blameless pledge and then here's my dream oh here's my dream i share a dream with you can you imagine if politicians would take a blameless pledge can you imagine if before the next debate they said who's going to take the blameless pledge before we start this debate that you won't blame anybody else you will only present your positive idea and how you will work with others who disagree with you can you imagine that? It's hard to imagine because I think it would be, like I said in the first hour, it would be easier to imagine a world without sin than I think it would be to... But imagine that. Imagine if God wants to help us come up with tools and ideas and videos and testimonies and apps or whatever. So please, as the series is going on, series is going on, send us your ideas. What could we create that could be helpful for people? Not just other church people. What could be helpful for people, people, as we steward this idea. So that's where we're going. But before we do that, we want to give you that opportunity.
to right here, right now, offer yourselves back up with a sacrament we called communion. We called, we called it last time we did it, and we call it today communion still. God asked Adam, he said, where are you? What a great question to ask ourselves every time we come to the Lord's table. We participate in the sacrament if you're not familiar with it. We commemorate this event. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we're about to do right now was never meant to be a go through the motions. This, in fact, there's warnings in scripture against that. Also, though, what this was never meant to be was, I'll get my act together before I come forward. It's the opposite of that. This is where we ask that, respond to that question, where are you? And we just be honest. Maybe your answer is, I'm lost. And I want to take a step in the right direction. If this is it, God, I'm in. Maybe it is, I'm ashamed. How, how can I come forward for this after all I've done? It's exactly why we come forward. Maybe it's been, I've been hiding something. Can I tell you a secret? God already knows. Just Maybe it's been a strong sense of, God, I have betrayed you. Or I betrayed someone else. Maybe the answer is, I'm scared. Because if I say yes to you, what might you ask me to say no to? Right? Maybe it could even be, I've got doubts. We've got precedents, you guys, in Scripture. Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? This is about following Jesus. Start there. Am I willing to follow Jesus one more step? Take that step today.